0: This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is brought to you by Screencastify, a tool made by teachers for teachers that makes it easy to record, edit, and share videos of your computer screen. Educators created over 100 million videos with Screencastify in 2020 alone, and it's likely that some of those videos were created in your district. Contact Screencastify for more information on why they're the premier video solution for educators and to get a custom usage data report on your district's teachers who are already creating with Screencastify. Head to screencastify.com slash smart, or click the link in the show notes or the blog for this episode. All right, let's get to the show. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Tom Ark, and today we're with Amir Nathu, the CEO of OutSchool, a great education platform. Uh, launched about five years ago, they offered online classes uh, to K twelve learners. Amir earned uh, a master's in electrical and information science at Cambridge about twenty years ago, and he's been a, a business builder uh, ever since. Um, Amir, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, Amir, you've had an interesting career of of starting companies and then uh, building businesses inside larger companies and then starting companies. And um, you developed software at IBM. You helped uh, Square build uh, their their payroll processing. And in the meantime, it looks like you started a a couple companies. Um, I'm I'm curious in that sort of 20-year tech journey, what you learned about um, your own learning and how, how you took that degree from 20 years ago, uh, and, and stayed, uh, so current both on business and tech. That's a great question. And, you know, reflecting
1: over, 20 years, there's just so much I've learned. I think one of the key learnings that, um, you know, underpins it all is just how fast things are changing. And, um, You know, a lot of that change is being driven by technology and, um, you know, it's amazing to think what our work and life was like even five years ago, let alone 10 or 20. And, you know, for me, that has had implications on, you know, how I approach my work and, and my life in that, you know, it's no longer possible to lean so much on your previous experience when there's so much that's new. Um, you know, all that said, I've been very lucky in that um, I started engaging with computers when I was five and started teaching myself how to program. And obviously, over the past you know, 20, 30 years, um, that trend in the growth of computers um, inhabiting and, and transforming all parts of our life and you know, the ability to create software businesses has been an incredible advantage. Um, But coming back to that learning that of how rapidly things are changing, I think ultimately, you know, what this means for business people, what it means for learners and kids today is it's really important to think about, you know, skate to where the puck's at is the phrase, you know, not be looking backwards in order to ascertain the trends of the future, but looking at the now, you know, what's happening right now and linking that back to out school. You know, this is why we encourage parents to support their kids in interest based learning. Because kids are so observant about the present. They're not burdened by assumptions or uh, the, um, yeah, all the baggage we have as adults about assumptions about how the world works. It's they're incredibly observant. So, and they're just instinctively um, uh, uh, geared to be curious about really powerful trends and tools of our society. So that's why kids are so excited about, you know, stealing daddy's phone. In the case of my three-year-old, they correctly identify that this is an incredibly powerful tool of this world that they're brought into and they want to study it. And so, you know, that's what, you know, that, that learning about how fast the world is changing and the implications of that, you know, influenced me and influenced how I think about the value that OutSchool offers.
0: Amir, um, you, you may be the very best example in history of hitting a window of opportunity. Um, I, I wonder over the last twenty years if you learned anything about that of windows of opportunity. Uh, you, you may have had periods in your career where you you missed a window of opportunity, but you know it's it's not only about having a great product, but it's a great product at the right time. And uh, do, do you think you observed that before um, out school or? Um, was this a, a new chapter, a new observation for you?
1: You know, I'll first say there's a lot of luck involved in this, right? <laughs> you know, as you pointed out, I, I was lucky to have been at the the start, really, of the trend in, in software and to develop the right skills at the right time. And without all, all, um, you know, we've benefited from um, trends, but of, most obviously the, the recent pandemic where the growth in online learning was incredible and it will be, a lie to say that all of all of that is intentional. Um, You know, that said, I think there are ways in which you can position yourself in order to um, be more um, likely to be in the right place at the right time. And a lot of that is about looking uh, coming back to looking at trends and being in the now and not being overly wedded to the past. I think there's some there's some failure modes and they're a little bit counterintuitive. Like focus and discipline, you know, those things that we often teach are the route to success, stop you from seeing the opportunities that might be right in front of you. A desire to pursue status or seemingly important things can also hinder you because usually, you know, if you look at the large markets today, or the high status professions today, or the opportunities that everyone else seems to be going for, you're probably not seeing the future. So actually you can start to train yourself as to ignore those things. But it's hard, you know, it's hard when you watch your friends, you know, acquire qualifications, acquire higher paying jobs. and But you think the future is going that way and it can sometimes take years to play out and you might be wrong and you have to accept the possibility that you might invest years of time in a particular area. Um, and so, you know, it's important to mitigate those risks you know, um, and um, you know, be prepared personally uh, to, um, to be wrong. Um, and that's a key part of also being ready to take, take advantage of opportunities, because it makes no sense to burn yourself out of you know, resources or personal enthusiasm only for the perfect opportunity to suddenly arise. So it's really hard, but a lot of the, a lot of it is counterintuitive, and a lot of what we've been taught in terms of focus and discipline and staying to the single path can actually get in the way of uh, of seeing where uh, where the world is going.
0: So Amir, what's the backstory on uh, on Outschool? Whose idea was it? How did you get started? Who supported the idea? So, um, yeah, the founding of OutSchool is a, a long time in the making,
1: um, in terms of my own personal motivations, you know, both my parents were teachers and, you know, as I shared, they supported me in pursuing my interests and particularly this interest in computers. Um, and so I've been thinking about education for a long time and how I can apply, you know, my, my skills in business building and software to education Um, And especially, you know, five years ago when I was thinking about having my own family and reflecting on what kind of education I want um, for my son, um, who's now just about coming up to age where he can take out school classes. So a lot of my personal motivation and the inspiration for the idea came from that reflection that so much of my own learning that has been valuable to me happened outside of school and was because of my parents. And the combination of having, you know, the great credentials that I have um, and I'm very fortunate to be able to have, you know, that helps open doors. But the things that have been really impactful beyond that are things that I acquired outside of normal school. So, yeah, that's where the name OutSchool comes from. You know, all these learning experiences that are possible outside of normal school that are, can be super important. And that comes out of my own um, personal experience. And then, um, you know, I was riffing on, you know, ideas like that with my co-founder, Nick, um, who um, at the time was a product manager at Clever and had previously been uh, first engineer at Airbnb. And um, after starting his career as a high school teacher, so he was passionate about education and worked in EdTech. And um, we realized there was an opportunity to apply a marketplace-based model in education. We'd seen how that marketplace-based model had transformed other industries like transportation with Lyft and Uber and um, you know, accommodation and travel with, with Airbnb. And we thought that instead of focusing on putting new technology tools in the in the usual classroom, there was much greater leverage and transformation possible if we try to apply technology in how education was actually consumed, specifically focused on out-of-school learning experiences So starting from outside the system. And um, then I guess the final piece of inspiration which really catalyzed the founding of OutSchool was the realization there was already an early adopter community of parents who were customizing their own education or their own kids' education outside of the normal system. And that was this group of secular homeschoolers who were really underrecognized in a um, fast-growing niche market. And the strategy formed, well, hey, we have a thesis about why this kind of learning is important. We think it's going to be more important in the future, not less with the fast changes in the world. We know a marketplace-based model can transform an industry. And there's this perfectly you know, positioned early adopter audience who we think will want this today, we can grow from there. And, you know, those, those set of ideas all contributed to the to the founding of OutSchool.
0: Yeah. Amir, I want to link your last two comments, because the, the observation of focusing on out of school five years ago was not apparent to, to everyone. As you said earlier, sometimes it's about seeing uh, what other people are not seeing. I'll remind folks that five and 10 years ago, the, the general investor sentiment was American parents won't pay for experiences outside of school. That only happens in uh, uh, in, in Asia and in China. It, it's not gonna be a successful model here. Uh, I think you correctly saw the, the need for more uh, agile, interest-driven, out-of-school learning and so, a great example of what you, uh, what you said a few minutes ago of seeing what other people may miss. Let's dive into the learning model. Um, what kind of experiences could a parent or a learner find on outschool? So we have more than 100,000 class topics.
1: So the few examples I can give you know, today will, will not do justice to the full array. But um, to give some examples, you, know, you can learn about cat anatomy. From a vet, you can have your child learn um, math through art um, by studying the geometry of art. Uh, you can have your kid study um, architecture through Minecraft, and so a lot of the classes on Outschool are incredibly creative and link core learning back to just really interesting topics in a taught and an innovative way. We do also have you know standard subjects in core um, in core topics such as you know algebra. and and call math classes, but our approach is to always be looking to meet the child where they're at. If they're already excited about math, then great, you know, great. We have the advanced courses. They can push themselves to uh, take classes that might not be available yet to them in grade level in school, or they can catch up on certain areas they're struggling with. But that's not more often than not, not the problem that the parents are coming to uh, parents are are saying, you know, my kid's not excited about math in the way it's being taught in school, but I believe they could be, and then they're coming to out school and finding, oh, if this subject is taught in just a different way, then we can really inspire our kids. And so, you know, another benefit of the marketplace based model is we unleash the creativity of teachers. We don't provide a curriculum we say they must follow. Instead, we have a content policy, so we say that classes have got to be. You know, uh, objective, secular, age appropriate, and we, um, and when we assess for quality, but we don't insist on a particular way of uh, of teaching a class, and so know, yeah, that's what drives the variety in the in the marketplace and, and the value for families.
0: You you mentioned the your teachers, Amir. How do you how do you vet uh, who can teach on the platform? So um, from the start, it's never been an open marketplace
1: completely because families um, expect and it's right for us to provide uh, a level of safety and quality. So we've always had an application process for teachers um, where those applications are manually reviewed by our team and also a background check process. And then we do assess every single class that's listed in the marketplace against our um, class uh, content policy. Then, of course, we also have all the usual marketplace-based signals around reviews, ability to flag. And so the combination allows us to assess the quality of a class, even though we don't have a standardized curriculum. And that's a that's an area where um, you know, we have uh, significant investments and ongoing investments because you know I think the only way a marketplace in education can really work is if there are you know certain boundaries and and certain quality controls. So we're very very focused on that.
0: Your uh, courses you, you, and the learners that you serve range from age three to eighteen. How how does the content um, and and the learning model um, shift between little kids and uh, and young adults? As you can imagine, for you know very young
1: kids, age three, there's a lot of parental involvement needed into the class. So you know these are often kind of you know story time, um, early kind of counting and reading. Classes and the parents have got to be really involved. It, surprisingly though, it's surprisingly fast how quick the kids get up to speed with both the technology and the class interaction and the parents can take more of a back seat. And then, you know, especially in the middle school ages, you start to get into a
0: huge
1: variety of um, interest-based classes. You know, marine uh, mammals is a, is a hot class topic on OutSchool. Kids yoga um you know the minecraft classes we have a fortnight discussion group uh we have critical thinking skills through dungeons and dragons so you start to see that huge variety and you know as with the older kids they get even more self-directed where it's really them driving the journey rather than the parents who are purchasing but I, with the older kids we see we see the interest get a little bit more narrow as kids start to focus in on and l- have learned about what they're actually interested
0: in are there specific things you do on the platform, the way you surface content or a recommendation engine that you help learners identify, things they might be interested in, uh, or other ways in which you help develop learner agency?
1: Yeah, we um, have a variety of search and recommendation tools. Um, up until recently, though, those were only available to parents. So it was you know, the parents driving, maybe sat side by side with their child. Over the past six months, we um, have launched Learner Spaces on OutSchool and Learner Search and Discovery, where actually it's now the kids driving. Um, and they're the ones choosing the classes. And um, it's a combination of both you know search, the ability for the kids to you know, search by, by keyword like Lego or Minecraft or math um, and recommendations. One thing that's a little bit unique about our recommendations is that we try and not only show you things that we know you'll like based on your past behavior, but we try and also show you new things that you might not have yet considered. And that's really important for learning. It's not like, you know, Netflix, where you might always want to watch action movies or rom-coms, and that's just how you are and the preference you have. When it comes to learning, opening new horizons is really, really important. So we've, we're quite careful to not only show you the things that you've You've enjoyed before.
0: Have um, there's a question about skill building and credentialing. Um, ha, have you thought about moving into the credentialing space to help learners sort of capture and communicate uh, some of their new knowledge and skills, uh, or are you going to remain firmly in the in the out of school uh, category? We have um, thought about ways
1: in which we could help learners showcase their skills and what they learn in class. So far we've resisted, however, doing that through traditional credentialing mechanisms. We we really see that um, credentialing in a traditional sense is something that people should look to schools for or other institutions. And we want to be careful to make sure that we're focused on the learning itself. Because too often the focus on credentials Drives people to focus on the ends and not the means, and you know the challenge and the um, problem with with that is uh, it can just be about getting the grades or getting the certification, and not really about the learning and you know kids going through the motions and then you know forgetting everything right after they finish the test. And you know these are problems with with the way the school system is currently designed and how it measures. So we want to stay focused on. Love of learning, as our core metric, are we increasing a love of learning? Because if we're doing that, it's more likely that the materials are actually sticking. So I won't say we'll never go in that direction. You know, I hope that you know one day uh, it'll be possible to um, you get whatever credential you want throughout school. Um, but we want to make sure that it's really coming from the learner's interest and that it's coming you know from the place of um, you know the icing on the cake rather than being the cake itself.
0: Amir, you just uh, finished a third uh, priced round of funding. Congratulations on that! You you really have some blue chip investors, really the best in class in both uh, venture investing but also uh, ed tech investing. With folks like Reach Capital, I noticed Jen Carillon is uh, is on your board. Um, congrats on being able to attract really the the, the best investors from. Uh, both sectors I think that says a lot about you and your initial traction uh, when when did you finish that round and what was it like putting that together well first thank you yeah you
1: know we're we're delighted with um our investors and um delighted with the people we've been able to bring into the mission and you know jennifer carolina reach capital who you call that is such a fantastic um supporter and is on our board and brings just this wealth of Education experience, but also um, you know a, a long history of, of supporting innovation at in EdTech, and you know, earlier you also alluded to this thing that you know historically investors um, you know haven't seen the opportunity in um, consumer education in the US, um, whereas now there's been this shift in mentality where people have realised oh you know there's been an unlock here and there is actually an opportunity. Some of that is related to COVID and the changing, you know, the shifts that that has enforced on people, some of it is also demographic. Kids um, today or young kids today have parents who grew up through the internet and like me have different ideas of of how education should be uh, uh, consumed, how it should be created. Um, and so I think the future is going to look very different. Um, and so I, for sure that has helped us to, you know, those trends have helped us to assemble a really incredible group of of investors. Um, I think another thing to say is that, you know, we're living through remarkable times in the tech ecosystem, and um, the market is uh, incredibly um, uh, fast, and it's changing rapidly. And you know, our recent funding rounds um, was preemptive, we had already raised a series B last summer. Um, but there's just so much demand and interest in companies at the stage we're at, and in our sector that it seemed, uh, the right timing to to raise a substantially larger amount of money than we had before, and bring in some later stage investors, because that enables us to to invest for the future, uh, potentially acquire companies, expand internationally, and really double down on our our mission. Um, yeah, you know, what it was like. You know, one thing that's really surprising to to me as an entrepreneur, uh, and might be surprising to um, people at an earlier stage of company. Is there's this irony that you know the later stage you get and the larger amounts of money that you're you're talking about in some ways the process becomes easier and faster, um, which speaks to the level of competition at that stage of the market. It also speaks to our maturity as a company and that we have our you know things line up, our data, you know, our, our diligence. We're just a lot more experienced about it. But it's surprising that it can be harder to raise a seed round or Series A round check than it is. To raise a Series B or C, so it's it's highly contextual to to the market and, and the company, obviously. But yeah, you know, our latest raise was completed you know three weeks from first opening the raise to you know cash in bank, which is incredibly fast. Um,
0: Amir, was it a crazy scramble uh, a year ago as uh, schools shut down, and how, how did you and your team respond? So quickly and effectively to uh, changing conditions. You know, reflecting on that time, it
1: was both a scramble and just this slow motion disaster unfolding. (laughs) Both at the same time, you know, in late February, the CDC came out with this um, message that maybe schools would need to shut. And um, that schools may need to consider something that they called internet-based teleschooling. So I read that announcement, I looked at that phrase, internet-based teleschooling, huh, what does that mean? And then it was like, oh, <laughs> what they mean is, is what I call live online classes, which is what we do. And I thought a bit more and thought, oh, there's no other organization in the US that has more experience at offering these kind of classes than we do. We've been focused on this format since 2017. We've been growing nicely. And so you know, the realization happened was if this COVID thing is gonna be bad, we need to be ready. So we were preparing for a few weeks and we launched initiatives like uh, free education for schools and teachers on how to run online classes, completely independent of our product. We just wanted to help. And then through those webinars, which were very well attended, we realized this is the tip of the iceberg. These schools, you know, whatever we can do to help, are not gonna be ready. And that there's gonna be a wave of demand from parents trying to fill in the gaps. So at that point, we started working to scale up our teacher base and launching outschool.org, which is our nonprofit program, to offer financial assistance because we realized that a lot of families were gonna be left behind. And then on the evening of Friday, March 13, 2020, you know, that was the day when basically mass school closures were announced throughout the US. Um, you know, all of our charts just went like up a cliff uh, in terms of number of signups, number of enrollments, classes started filling up, use of the free classes program. And so over that weekend, that was the core of the struggle. Whereas like, how can we keep the servers up? How can we uh, keep enough funds in the free classes program to meet the demand? Uh, And then on Sunday, we realized we're going to need more teachers next week. You know, how can we get 5,000 more teachers onto the platform in the next two weeks? And so you know we succeeded in that we didn't have major outages, and um, you know we kept the free classes program going, and we scaled up number of teachers, but those were very very um, uh tough and I'll have to say exciting days because you know one thing about things like that is you were also having to deal with the personal impacts and fear of the disaster and starting to work from home and all that, but in some ways we were able to kind of ignore that and focus on work because we had this emergency and a unique contribution that we could make, uh, through our work at that time. So in some ways it's easier to have that as a distraction, whereas, you know, at that time there was a lot of fear and uncertainty, um, about everything in the world. And so you know, I'm grateful that we were able to be in that position at that time to have that impact and to have that relevant work.
0: Did, did you in the last year begin working with, uh, with schools, in addition to serving, uh, parents?
1: Yes, we did. You know, um, on the back of the webinars, we started running for schools to help them prepare for COVID. We started seeing a lot of demand from schools to just partner with us, find ways to embed classes within their school curriculum, uh, maybe as electives, maybe as helping individual students um, catch up in certain areas. And so we decided to spin up a arm about school, which is focused on schools. And so now we partner with a number of schools across the country, and we're expanding that side of the business. This was always part of you know, our long-term strategy. You know, We start from the outside of the system, serve families directly, but then over time, um, increasingly partner with the school system to bring interest-based learning into, into schools. But we hadn't expected to start that for maybe another couple of years. So COVID definitely accelerated that initiative.
0: Uh, let's talk about the roadmap um, going forward. What um, what are you excited about in terms of your uh, plans for expansion?
1: Well, we have a lot of plans for expansion, as you might imagine, you know, given the new funding, um, as well as continuous improvements on making our current service um, even better in terms of you know quality and um, ease of use of the website. I think I'd call out three different strands of work that um, I'm particularly excited about. Um, One is um, international growth. Our product is naturally international and um, given that kids can join class from anywhere and many parents say that their kids are incredibly excited to be in class with people from around the country and around the world. So that's an area of focus. Another one. Right now, everything on the platform is in English. So that's here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, ultimately, we want to have a global community and support every language. Obviously, there's yeah, we have to go one at a time, so um, you know, that's, a, that's a key focus area to translate the site, have classes in different languages, uh, as well as simply you know targeting other countries in terms of marketing. Um, you know, another area of focus for me is making things even more learner-driven on the website and put learners in charge. And so we're working on learner clubs and learner allowances. So that, you know, parents can subscribe to OutSchool and give their kids a budget and maybe some guidance on content and schedule, and the kids can actually purchase the class themselves and enroll themselves. Um, I think that'll be a huge win, both for our mission of enabling you know, interest-based, child-led learning, and also a great win for the parents who no longer have the burden of choosing from 100,000 classes and, and um, developing the schedule. Um, and then finally, you've, and we already uh, alluded to this, you know, relationships with schools and also employers. So as well as schools looking to partner with us, employers are looking to offer out-school classes as a benefit to help, you know, in particular, working mums who have borne um, so much of the burden of you know, childcare and you know, continue to bear uh, the majority of the burden of um, uh, curating their kids' education. Um, and so increasingly education related benefits are, are in demand by, by companies looking to support working mothers. Yeah, it's, it's a real, um, bummer to me, but 98% of our customers are, um, our mothers. And I really want to, you know, have more of the fathers on our sites, um, being involved in, in curating the, uh, learning experience of, of the kids. And you know, that's the, that's the father I, I, I aspire to be when Cosmo turns three, I'll be getting on out school and, uh. And bringing him into classes myself.
0: Amir, last question. Uh, a, a number of times you've talked about interest driven learning, passion driven learning. Um, why do you think that's so important? Two reasons.
1: Um, firstly, um, I have a belief based on my own experience and what we now observe in our marketplace that if you allow kids and encourage kids to pursue learning through interests, that they uh, develop confidence and a love of learning. Um, And if they develop that confidence in their ability to learn and that love of learning, then that will translate to all aspects of their education, including core subjects. And that's the key reason. A secondary reason, which um, uh, resonates with some families, is that um, if you allow kids to pursue their interests, some of the time it won't just be about them enjoying the learning, It'll also turn into incredibly valuable skills that will be so important for their future. An example is you know, my own experience of learning how to code when I was five, because I was pursuing interests. Um, and so you're more likely to be in the right place, have your kid be in the right place at the right time, and pick up those skills if you allow them to pursue interests. And for some families looking for a more concrete kind of ROI than love of learning, that's the appealing part. And I think both exist together um, in interest-based learning.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning into the Getting Smart podcast. Uh, we appreciate how Amir Nathu and the AppSchool team uh, scrambled to deliver interest driven learning to young people all over the world. Uh, what, what an exciting and timely story. Amir, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. Until next week, keep learning, keep innovating. another thanks to our podcast sponsor, Screencastify. To learn more about the power of video to engage learners, check out screencastify.com slash getting smart. There's a link in the show notes as well. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica signing off.